Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you here today. I noticed this bright, shining thing in the sky this morning. I'm not sure what it was, but I, I haven't seen it before. I don't know. Somebody told me it was sunshine, but uh, it was great to see it today. It's great to see you too. Stand with us this morning. I read this morning in uh, Revelation chapter 4. I don't understand a lot of what's in the book of Revelation, but I think I got this one. Uh, John's talking about this incredible vision of the throne room in heaven. And he's describing things like this, this incredible throne room and, and the, the lightning and the thunder and the one who sits on the throne and these, these angels and beasts uh, with wings that surround the throne and cry out praises. And, and he, he, says, he says there comes a point in time where whenever the, the beasts cry out in, in glory and praise, that the elders throw their crowns down, get on their faces before him, and they say, you are worthy. All of the glory, all of the honor, all of the power is yours because you created it all and you sustain it all. I wonder if we could have that same spirit today and just say, Lord, you're worthy. All of this glory is yours. Blessing, honor, strength, and power. Yours alone now and forever. Stop, there is no one like our God Reaching down to touch the broken Mercy breaking through this moment Faithful is the one who saves Worthy is your name Oh God, the glory is yours The kingdom is come and the battle is over
morning for? Say that again. We came here this morning not to get through the worship service, Brother Jason, to get to the preaching. We came here this morning to glorify God, to magnify our Creator and our Savior, to give thanks to the one who hung on a cross so that we might have everlasting life. This is a celebration. We're having a party right now. And that's to glorify God. He deserves no less. Let me, let me read you a script. I was thinking of this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. Whom having not seen, you love. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? The next verse. For the salvation of your souls. I was talking to someone this, this, this morning before we came in. We don't serve God for what we're going to accrue in this life. I serve God and love God and appreciate God and magnify God because I have life everlasting. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful for your presence in our lives. We want to think you may be seated. We're so thankful that you're here this morning because I believe that God wants to change your life and do something extraordinary in it. If you're joining us on live stream, thank you again. There are only a few things that we need to make you uh, aware of this morning. Monday, April 19th at 7:40. Everyone say 7:14. We've been doing this for a while. United Family Prayer Time at Home. Please include your family in your prayer. It strengthens your family and gives hope and a way forward in life. April 20th, Tuesday morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. April 24th, there will be election day. And on the 24th, men's prayer in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. Please, men, if you are able to attend, please be here. On Sunday, May 2nd, we will be honoring the graduates. Let's give our graduates a hand clap this morning. They made it. They made it. So happy. Please contact the church office if you are graduating. Do you love the Lord this morning? 
Do you feel like celebrating that fact? Then let's worship. Praise God.
give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. You are love, you 
Today, I want you to know that He is the one that breathes life into lifeless situations. He's the one that brings fresh breath of life to circumstances that may otherwise have seen uh, dead and, and no longer uh, ability to produce anything in your life. He's the one that gives that kind of life-giving power through His Spirit. And so one more time, all over the building, I think it would be good to just lift our voices and praise the God whose presence is in this place. All right. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you appreciate the presence of God that you feel here today? Amen. I do. I do. It is so refreshing to just walk into the presence of God and just know that you are here, He is here, and those two ingredients together means we're ready to hear from Him, we're ready to receive from Him, anything is possible. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to join with Brother Ben Tier in welcoming all of you to Grace Church this morning. We are so glad you've joined us here on campus and certainly those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream. We are so glad that you've made us a part of your Sunday and I know the Word of God is going to minister to you today. Before you're seated, I, I would like to make a special presentation. Uh, as you saw on the screen, we are so thrilled and so excited that Braden Adams was baptized in the name of Jesus just now in our worship service. Isn't that wonderful? Braden, come on up. Uh, Braden is uh, Brother Jonathan and Sister Kelly Adams' son. He is six years old. He's not married, but he has been baptized in the name of Jesus. And amen. Amen. And uh, if, you, if you get a chance after church, go by and congratulate him and, and, and talk to Sister Kelly and Brother Jonathan. Uh, Braden has been talking about being baptized for weeks now. Finally, uh, you know, convinced his parents that he understood fully that his sins were going to be remitted. He was going to take on the name of Jesus. And since they made the decision last weekend to be baptized today, he has been counting down the days. As it got closer, he started counting down the hours. And he was really a little bit upset that he had to go to Sunday school first. He was ready to just get to church and get baptized. I believe God's working on him. I believe God's got a plan for his life. I can tell you, I felt the witness of the Holy Ghost when we baptized him a minute ago. God's got his hand on you, Braden, and I'm proud of you. God bless you. We do have a certificate here. This certificate lets you know that you were baptized on today's date. Look at here. It's got your name. And it says that you were baptized in the name of Jesus at Grace Church of Central on April the 18th. So God bless you, buddy. We're proud of you. God's got his hand on your life. Let's give him one more hand. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. So proud. So proud of all of our kids, our students. They are, they are stepping up uh, in incredible ways and, and responding so beautifully to the word of God and the vision that Pastor has been presenting over the last few weeks and months. And uh, I'm just telling you, I'm expecting great things in the near future from our students and our kids. God, God is going and is using them for mighty, mighty things. And they are an integral part of Grace Church and what we do around here. Amen. We're going to uh, go to the Word of God now. Uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 13 through 21. 
haven't mentioned it in a while, so I'll mention it again. We want you to bring your Bibles. We want you to follow along with the preaching and the teaching. Uh, the words are on the screen for your convenience, but if you can and, and you will, we'd love for you to turn in the Word of God as we read and as we, as we traverse through the Scriptures today. After we read our text, we will pray one more time. And when we pray, I, I would just pray, I'd like for us to just pray a general prayer. There, there are many that have been sick this week. There are some sick, out sick today with this virus and flu-like bug that's been going around. And, and we just need God to touch our folks. We don't want them to be sick. We want them to be well. So we'll pray for those needs today. There, there are quite a few that are sick this morning and need a touch. So we'll do that in just a moment. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. And I'll read a, a little bit of a reading here, verses 13 through 21. Luke 24, verses 13 through 21. Luke records here, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. That's about seven miles. They talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. They did not recognize him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them whose name was Cleopas, the only one of the two that we have his name, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? The New King James says, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he, Jesus, said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been, notice the past tense, he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And so from this somewhat lengthy reading this morning, I would like to preach for, to you from the subject, Some Things I've Learned Along the Road. That's going to be our subject today. Let's pray together over the Word. Let's pray for those that are sick this morning. And uh, Jesus, I just thank you for your presence. The witness of the Holy Ghost is here. I feel the presence of God. I feel the anointing. I feel the authority of the Word of God. And I know that before we leave here today, great things are going to happen. You're going to minister to your church, minister to your people, Lord. And we will leave saying, look what the Lord has done. I pray for those that could not be here today that are sick, those that are battling this virus and flu bug. I pray for healing. Lord, we claim and invoke the presence or the promises of God that by your stripes we are healed. Let it be done from this selfsame hour. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you for standing for so long. Some things I've learned along the road. Some things I've learned along the road. We have only been home, my family and I, just a, a week or so from an epic road trip. Now, I am certain that there are some people here today 
that have a story of a road trip, the distance of which will make ours look like a short stroll around the block. But for us, this was a trip for the ages. We drove, we drove from Greenville Springs, Louisiana to Phoenix, Arizona. We spent a couple of nights in Phoenix, Arizona, and we traveled uh, three and a half hours north to Flagstaff, Arizona. We spent the night in Flagstaff, Arizona, and drove another hour and a half to the Grand Canyon and spent some time there. By virtue of the fact that I'm standing here today, you can infer that we made a U-turn and drove all that distance back. Quite a road trip. One we'll remember for a long time. And there are some things that I learned on that 3,950-mile journey to the Grand Canyon. I learned that what my grandfather told me about the gas tank is true. He said that when you're on a road trip, quote, half a tank is empty. What he meant, of course, is that at half a tank, you should start looking for a place to fill up because you just don't know what's going to happen down the road and you don't know when the next place to fill up will come. And I thought about that the entire trip, our entire journey, because my definition of a nightmare would be to get out on those Texas plains or out in that Arizona desert and run out of gas with my family. So every half tank we stopped. And somewhere along the trip, I'm pretty sure I heard my family muttering on their, under their breath about mutiny and leaving me home the next time, but I took the words of my grandfather to heart. I learned on this trip that you should not buy your wife a souvenir cactus, which she does not want. And I further learned that if you insist on buying your wife a souvenir cactus, which she does not want, then you should not buy it on the first day of your stay in Arizona because the thing has to be babysat all the way back home. I learned along the road that you'll know when you're back in Louisiana, when you see the orange barrels have one or more lanes closed, find traffic backed up for miles, and will have the testing of your patience occur when you sit in traffic for nearly an hour at a standstill. Welcome home, right? Along the road, I learned that you should pack light because you will always come home with more stuff than what you left with, including a cactus. They say no experience is wasted if you learn from it, right? But far more important than these reminiscences of vacation, I've learned some things along the road with my walk with Jesus. You know, th this road that we travel with Jesus by our side, it can be sometimes a long road. It can seem uh, like there's no end in sight. Sometimes we can go through patches of road where we feel the trying and the testing of our faith. It can be filled with its share of spiritual potholes. It can, it can take some twists and turns and some blind curves and, and we can quickly become disoriented. But I want you to know today there are some timeless and trustworthy truths found in the Word of God that, uh, that, we are, uh, that, that we know are testaments and testimonies to the faithfulness of God on this journey we're on from here to heaven with Him by our side. And I promise you today He will be with you even when the road gets difficult. 
the events preceding the text that we read today, these two disciples of Luke 24, the events preceding this one on their travel to Emmaus, these events were not encouraging at all. Jesus had been put to death as we read on the cross, or as they alluded to. He had just been put to death on the cross. His body had been taken down and anointed and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And it had been three days since all of this had happened. And on that first day of the week, there were certain women, the Bible says. Luke gives us the name of some, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joanna. Others that went to the tomb and found that the body was gone and stone had been rolled away. And I will say in passing today, aren't you thankful that as we celebrated on Easter Sunday just a few Sundays ago that the tomb really is empty and that Jesus really is rolling away stones even today in our lives. Amen. He's still victorious today. So instead of finding that body that they had gone to anoint, these women instead found angels who asked them a question, said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? And you'll notice here that in Scripture, when an angel asks a question, usually... Most probably they're aware of some other reality that the human they are addressing is not aware of. It's typically a leading question and such was the case here. And so the women go back and tell the 11 disciples of the empty tomb and the mysterious message from the angels. And I'm fascinated by what Luke adds to the story in Luke 24, 11. He says, quote, their words, the words of the women seemed to the disciples as idle tales and they believed them not. And you think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. And I don't want to be critical of the disciples. I don't think you and I would have done anything different. I think we would have probably been in the same boat. But it is fascinating to me that they believed not the words of the angels or these women who had seen the empty tomb firsthand. And it is here we pick up the story of the two of Jesus' followers walking on that road to the village of Emmaus, seven miles, probably two hours of walking ahead of them. And again, it must be understood fundamentally that no one, no one, not the disciples, not Peter, not John, not these two, no one was expecting the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I can prove that scripturally. You just go back. A few verses in our reading. There's other, there's other indicators. Nobody understood it or was expecting it in any way. They did not recognize at this moment or grasp what had happened. And then further, the two words of these disciples give them away in Luke 24, 21. Note what they say again. I'll read it to you. But we trusted, but we trusted that it had been Jesus that would have redeemed Israel. We trusted Not we are trusting, not we are believing, but we trusted. This is a faith that is past tense. This is a faith that has been extinguished. A trust that has been terminated. A dream that will never come true. And even worse, time is now moving on. And it's been three days that have elapsed and things are absolutely looking grimmer by the minute. And so this morning, my message, what I want to preach to you today is for anyone who is currently or who has been in a place where you find that you had trusted, you used to believe. 
When, when the sun was, was shining and, and I felt God near, my, my faith was soaring. When it, when it seemed like every prayer I prayed was answered, I, I could believe God for anything. When all I had to do was just speak the name of Jesus and it felt like His presence was in the room immediately. Then I had no doubts, but now I'm walking on a rough Road. Right now I'm at a place on my journey where it seems like he's not listening. Right now it seems like my prayers don't even make it out of the room. It's a, it's a past tense faith. What do you do in those times? Maybe you've had high hopes that the miracle you've been believing God for would have happened by now. Maybe your faith was high and you had courage to believe, but, but the time is passing on and it, and it just hasn't happened yet. I want to preach to a, an audience here, a packed house at Grace Church today, that just because it looks like things are at a standstill on the road doesn't mean that God is not busy working on your behalf behind the scenes. Just because you haven't felt His presence lately doesn't mean that He's not with you. Just because the answer hasn't come yet doesn't mean that it's not coming. I want you to know that Jesus specializes in showing up at the moment of our deepest despair. He, he specializes in showing up at the moment when we think all hope is lost and we'll never hear from Him. There's a wonderful verse in, in Psalms chapter 46, verse 6, and I'll just, I'll just give you just a few words here. The psalmist wrote, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. That's New King James. He says, God will help just at the break of of dawn, just when it seems like the night couldn't get any longer, right when it seems like dawn will never break, just when it seems like the sun will never rise, that's when God steps in. That's when He specializes in walking into a situation and making the impossible possible. That's when answers to prayer comes. That's when miracles comes, when you feel like all hope is lost. I want somebody to know today, Jesus is on the road with you and he will always make a way. Thank you, Jesus. So along this road today, I've learned that Jesus is there even when I don't know it. As I mentioned, Luke gives the name of one of the disciples on the road that day, Cleopas. We don't know the others, the other one's name. They're trying to make sense of all that has happened uh, that I just mentioned to you. And their eyes, Luke 24, 16, are holding, they're blinded, they're, they're prevented from seeing that they should know him. Now, I don't know how Jesus does this. I don't know how it happened. But somehow in his supernatural ability, in some way we don't understand, Jesus did not allow these two to recognize him until the time was right. And I love this exchange that Jesus has with them because he acts like he doesn't know what, what's going on. And he says, why are you so sad? To put it just kind of in my terms. And Cleopas says, Man, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened over the last three days? And it's, it's almost like you can see Jesus get a, a little mischievous grin on his face. It's just kind of one of those little wry smiles, maybe a little clearing of the throat in and, and a little sarcastic way. And he says, what things? What things? What things? But you know, when I reflect on that a little more, I wonder if maybe Jesus wasn't being sarcastic or, 
are, are, are clever at all. Could it be that when Jesus said, what things? Just almost a minimalizing, uh, almost a, a, a tamping down of the events. And he just off the cuff, maybe with a, shr- a shrug of the shoulder, says, what things? Maybe he's saying, yes, I suffered. Yes, I was beaten. I was mocked. I, I was even crucified and forsaken by God. It was a, it was a cup I didn't want to drink from. All, all that happened, but now that it's over, what things? Now that we're post-resurrection, what things? In comparison, in other words, in comparison to defeating sin and sickness, in comparison to making an open show and triumph over the grave, in retrospect, of what gravity and of what import were those things anyway? The writer of Hebrews said it this way, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And now that he had endured, now that he had overcome, maybe to him they just seem like light and momentary things because the, 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 the power and the grandeur of the victory that he was experiencing was so much greater. I want you to know, Grace Church, that example from Jesus and these words that I'm about to read from the Apostle Paul ring true this morning to anyone who, that, that you feel that the road has gotten long, the path has gotten dark, and the destination does not seem secure. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and uh, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I want you to know today there is coming a day when you will look back and say, I had to go through some things, but at least I went through because now I'm experiencing joy of victory. And it's a far more exceeding and eternal joy that comes with being an overcomer. Oh yeah, it may be in this life, and it may be in the life to come, but you will look back and say, what things? What were those things but light and momentary compared to the glory and the joy of the victory that I have in Jesus? Now, Jesus could have told these two men, he could have said, you don't know who you're talking to. And he'd have been right, literally. He'd have been right. I found that some of the most trying times on this road are the times when there's no light for the path, there's no end in sight, and it seems like Jesus isn't there. To these two, they just went on with their narrative. They went on with their story as though Jesus wasn't even there, not realizing that he was in their very midst. I want you to know today, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Arthur Hayes Salzberger. How do you like that name, Salzberger? Let's just pause right there and pay tribute to that name. Arthur Hayes Salzberger was the publisher of the New York Times during World War II. And because of the conflict raging in the world and wave after wave of troubling news that he had to process and get out to the public, he found it almost impossible to sleep the night through. He was never able to get the worry and the weight of the the world war and all that news off his mind. So finally he adopted a motto. It's five words that came from an old hymn entitled, Lead Kindly Light. And it just says, Lead kindly light, keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene, one step 
enough for me. And that was his motto, one step enough for me. Those words became a comfort to Mr. Sulzberger and it gave him much needed faith and confidence in God that allowed him to leave his burdens with God, leave them there and be able to get the sleep and the rest that had been so elusive. I want you to know that God doesn't often show us the entire road. Very rare that He'll show you the destination, but He always provides a light for one more step. He always is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. So on this journey with Jesus, I've learned that He's always there even when we can't see Him. Along the road, I've learned that Jesus will always do what He says. Now that seems like a simple statement. It seems like we probably would all agree to that in this room. But when you're in a dark place on the road, when the times are trying and your faith is weak, sometimes that becomes doubtful. Sometimes that doesn't become a guarantee. But I want to assure you today, Jesus always does what He says. He tells these disciples in 25 and 27 of Luke 24, He said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now throughout his ministry, Jesus had tried to tell his disciples what his destiny was going to be. Not a few times he told them he would suffer uh, in Jerusalem. And again, here on this post-resurrection road with these two disciples, he expounds to, him, to them all things concerning himself. Starting at Moses and working through the prophets. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there for that Bible study from Jesus? What a Bible study. What a revelation. What an enlightenment of how Moses and all the prophets told and prophesied of this moment in time. And Jesus did resurrect on the third day just like he, did, like, just like he said because he always does what he said. I want you to know even though these guys didn't understand it in its entirety, even though the disciples were not looking for it, and even though they doubted it, Jesus did do what he said. He resurrected on the third day just like he said he would. I want you to know God's word is true whether we understand it or not. His promise is sure whether we choose to believe it or not. His work will be performed whether we are looking for it or not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want somebody, I want you to see these verses on the screen or see them in your Bible. But I feel very strongly at this point in this message, this is somebody's word today. I felt it in prayer. I felt it in preparation. So, so if this is you today, I want you to listen and I want you to get this. Consider the almost unfathomable promise that God gave to Abraham. And let's read about it in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 19. For, listen to this. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now that's a pretty good guarantee right there. That's a pretty good promise. That's a pretty good indication that the promise is going to happen. God said, there's no one greater than me, so I can't swear by anybody else, so I'm going to swear by myself. It will happen just like I said it would happen. Saying, surely, here's the promise, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. Oh, he did obtain the promise. For men, and so the writer breaks it on down for us. Men verily swear by the greater, 
And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible, it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the, uh, that within the veil. We stood out over that Grand Canyon that day and we watched the sun go down and it was beautiful. And we stayed out there and we watched the night fall and we watched the stars come out. That first one I saw was that North Star. And I'm telling you, it's, it never moved. It never moved with the horizon. It's fixed. It's there. It was shining bright. But before long, more stars came out. Before long, we could see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and, and all that stuff. And before long, it was a canopy of stars. It was Beautiful, And as we stood there looking at it, I couldn't help but think of this promise God made to Abraham. When he told Abraham, he said, step outside of your tent. And he said, count the stars if you can, because your, your descendants, your inheritance is going to be as the stars of the heavens in number. And hey, Abraham steps out there and he goes, hey, that's awesome, but there's a problem. My wife and I are barren. We can't have children. It is a biological impossibility for us to have children, but yet God... God says, hang on, because I've sworn to you, Abraham. Hang on, because I promised it to you, Abraham. And I can't lie. I can't, uh, I can't not do what I said I'm going to do. It will happen as I said it would happen. And I'm telling you, Abraham, has. if he could stand here today, he would tell you, he, say, he would say, oh, yeah, God keeps his promises. He would say, oh, yeah, God does what he says. Oh, yeah, God doesn't lie. He will do what he says he's going to do. And I want somebody to know here today at Grace Church on a Sunday morning, that if God's promised you something, if he's told you it's going to happen, I want you to hold on to that because it will happen. You'll be like Abraham one day and you'll stand back and say, I knew God could do it. I knew he would do it. I knew he would come through just like he said he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And finally, along the road, I've learned that Jesus will take you from broken to blessed. Jesus always takes you from broken to to bless. When the disciples, Cleopas and the other fella, got to their place of lodging, they, the Bible says, constrained Jesus. They, they asked him vehemently to stay with them. Of course, at this time, they still didn't know it was Jesus. And they asked him to sit down to a meal. And there, Luke records, Jesus took the bread of the meal. He broke it and he blessed it. And in that moment, their eyes were enlightened and they realized who he was. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say what happened in that moment that caused their eyes to see, that caused the proverbial scales to come from their eyes and they were able to recognize Jesus. But it would be fair, I believe, to infer today that they... The Bible, Luke says later, he says that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I believe that these two disciples, I believe it is at least possible that maybe they were there when Jesus looked over that crowd of 4,000 that didn't have enough food to feed 
and the disciples didn't have enough food to feed and he broke that bread and he blessed it, the Bible says, and they passed it out and fed the multitude and had leftovers. Jesus did it again when he fed the 5,000, broke the bread, blessed it, passed it out. They fed the multitude and they had food left over. Maybe those disciples were there that day and there was something about the way Jesus broke that bread and blessed it that they recognized. Maybe, maybe they had heard the stories from the twelve who were at the Last Supper with Jesus. The Bible tells us again that at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Maybe they had heard that story and there was something compelling about the way the disciples described the breaking of bread and the blessing of the bread at the Last Supper. But whatever it was, they, they recognized the DNA of the miraculous. They recognized the DNA of the divine in the breaking of bread and the blessing of it. And again, Luke says, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I want you to know today, he is known to us in the breaking. It's in the broken places. It's where, where the road is broken a little bit. It's where we are broken just a little bit. And I want you to know today that before you can go to the blessed place, you first have to go through the broken place. And the reason is, is because that's where he's known to us. Sometimes when things are going well and, and we feel blessed and we feel like that everything's under control and maybe we even adopt the attitude that I've got this and I, I, I got it all under control and I'll take care of this. Sometimes it's hard to see Jesus for who he really is in those moments. Sometimes it's hard to really understand his true provision and understand the true miraculous power that he has for us in those moments. But you get into a place of brokenness. You get in a place of wilderness you, get, you take that curve on the road when it's a little bit rocky and it's a little bit unsure and you're not, you're not so sure you can make it around the next bend. Those broken places is where Jesus specializes in revealing to us who He is and what He can do. And I can stand here today and testify of a truth that some of the best are some of the most profound understandings of Jesus. Some of the most prolific revelations of who He is in my life came in times of brokenness, came in times where I didn't have answers, came in times when I was down to nothing to lean on but Him. And He was known to me and my family in the broken places. So before you can go to a blessed place, He has to lead you through the broken place. He says, ought, Christ, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into His glory? He couldn't have been Savior if He wasn't first sufferer. He couldn't have been resurrected if He hadn't first gone to the grave. If He hadn't first gone to that broken place. But He did not remain the suffering servant for very long. He entered into a glory that could only have been reached through that breaking at Calvary. So I want to encourage you today, if you're in that broken place... If you feel you're in a place where answers are few and questions are plentiful, if the future is uncertain in your life, you, you find yourself in a broken place, I want to encourage you, don't quit. Don't stop. Don't turn back. Don't make a U-turn because here in this place, Jesus will reveal some things about His character to you and then He's going to lead you to the blessed place. He's going to lead you to a blessed place. It happens every single time in 2016 
after we uh, had a prolific sickness diagnosed in our family. Uh, later that year, we'd gotten back under our feet. And uh, mid-year 2016, here on a Wednesday night, a missionary from Uganda came and made a compelling presentation. And he said, he said for a certain amount of money, a church can be built in Uganda. And I felt quickened and led, uh, even in our circumstance, to give that full sum of money to build a church in Uganda. And so being the highly trained minister that I am and so tuned in to the voice of God, I did what any self-respecting man of God would do. I checked with my wife and, uh, and made sure that it was okay. And uh, she said, yeah, she said, if you're feeling, if you're feeling that, then, um, then do that. And so we did. We wrote a check for that sacrificially. That was on a Wednesday night. On Saturday, that Saturday, three days later, the thousand-year flood hit this area. On that Tuesday, I was able to walk into our flood-ravaged home for the first time, standing there by myself, seeing the residue and the, the, the leftover, you know, the remains of where that water had been, the ruin of all of our possessions and of our home. And the first thought that came to my mind was a thought from the enemy that said, you should not have written that check, son, because you need that money and you're going to be in serious trouble in the very near future. So to counter that thought, out loud by myself at home, I just said, you know, I am so glad we gave that money to the kingdom of God because that opens up space for God to take care of us now that our backs are against the wall. It was a statement of faith. It was a statement of trust. It was saying, God, I'm in the broken place and I really need a blessing. I need you to take me from broken to blessed is what I was really saying. And I assure you today as I'm standing here that I stopped the calculations at five times the amount we had given on that Wednesday night. I stopped calculating. Resources started pouring in from unexpected sources. In one case, it was from a completely different country on the other side of the world. Resources started pouring in in excess of five times the amount we gave on that Wednesday night. In that case, we were literally broke, literally broken uh, in our pocketbook. But God said, you are blessed. I want you to know today, he will always take you from broken to blessed. He's not going to leave you in a broken place. He's not going to leave you in a bankrupt place. He's not going to leave you in a desert place. He will always take you on the ascent heavenward and higher. As our musicians come, as our singers come and we prepare for our altar time, we read as a family the other night in our scripture reading, and uh, it, boy, it just leapt off the page. I knew what we'd be preaching here today, and it leapt off the page. And I told my family, I said, I got to put that in my notes. So as our, as our praise team is getting ready, let me share this with you. And in the Old Testament, uh, as the, the fledgling nation of Israel was marching through the wilderness, uh, an Ammonite king, an Ammonite king hired a prophet by the name of Balaam, to come and curse the children of Israel, God's people. And it's interesting to me, you should go, you should go read it sometime. The Bible takes up a, a pretty good chunk of Scripture telling this story. It's two and a half chapters of, of, an, of an event that we don't really talk that much about. And I wonder about the importance of it given its, its space that is used in Scripture. 
And every time the, the heathen king had hired the prophet to curse the children of Israel, every time that this prophet would go to curse the children of Israel, it would come out a blessing. He could not curse the children of Israel. He could only bless. He would, and it wasn't, it wasn't of his own will. It's just what came out of his mouth. He would go to curse and he would bless. And the king got mad and said, I told you to curse him. Go curse him. And this cycle repeated. Finally, the king was at his wit's end and he said, I tell you what, just don't curse or bless him. Just don't do anything. He got down to the desperation point. He's like, just keep your mouth closed. Could you keep blessing them? Well, Moses is reminiscing and recounting the story in his farewell address to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. And I love what he says right here, how he encapsulates that whole episode in Deuteronomy 23, 5. He says this, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto you. Why? Because the Lord thy God loved thee. I love that. God turned the curse into a blessing for no other reason than the simple fact that he loved them. That's it. That was the sole criteria. I want you to know today, God is taking the curse and he's turning it into a blessing because he loves you. And I want somebody here to know when you leave this place beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are loved by God. I want you to know that goodness and mercy are following you. I want you to know that the love of God is new every morning and it's fresh every sunrise. I want you to know you're walking in the favor and the blessing and the loving kindness of your God. Stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So if you're here today and you're on the road, and we all are, but if you're on the road today and you found it to be trying and rocky and rough and you've hit one of those, those uh, potholes that we have in Louisiana, I want you to know that God is on the road with you and these promises are immutable. They're absolutely fact. There was a Welsh preacher of the late 18th and early 19th centuries by the name of Christmas Evans. And he once gave the following account. Quote, One Sunday afternoon I was traveling by horseback to an appointment. Suddenly as I went along a very lonely road, a very lonely road, I was convicted of having a cold heart. I dismounted, tethered my horse to a tree, and found a secluded spot. Then walking back and forth in agony, I reviewed my life. I waited before God in brokenness and sorrow for three hours. Finally, a sweet sense of His forgiving love broke over me, and I received a fresh filling of His Spirit. As the sun was setting, I walked back to the road, found my horse, and rode on to my appointment. The following day, I preached with so much new power to a vast gathering of people on a hillside that revival broke out and ultimately spread through all of Wales, end quote. I want you to know that along this road, God always gives you a place to pull over and be refreshed. I want you to know that on this road, He always gives you a place to just stop and drink freely from the wellsprings of life. And so if you're here today, as I give the altar call, as they begin to sing, as I begin to invite you up front, 
if you have need of anything, but especially if you need a fresh filling of the Holy Ghost or you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, if you need a fresh drink of the waters of life, I want you to know the refreshing power of God is flowing through this building and you have an opportunity today to pull over and receive from the bounty of heaven. Amen. Amen. Would you come all over the building, all over the building, would you come forward and let's drink together the wells of life. Let's let God refresh us. Let's let him give us fresh touch. Let's let him give us fresh strength for the journey. Can we do that today all over the house? Come on, if you have a need, don't hold back. Don't wait. Come on, God's here today to do a work. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's it. That's it. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the promises of God being enacted today. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus' name.
you shall 